Matthew 24, verse 36 through 51. So you might ask me, why wouldn't we start in the middle of the chapter? Well, it's the second most logical place to start, number one. Because the chapter is separated into two sections. The first 35 verses are about the signs of the end of the age. In other words, when Jesus comes back with the, the church, with the saints. And, and that section was way too long for me to get through it tonight. So I've got to work on how to split that up. But we're going to talk about verses 36 through 51, which is about the rapture and the time frame before the rapture. The rapture comes first anyway, so. So as we look at this, the disciples, I'm only going to reference verse 1, and 1 through 3, but we're not going to read those. The disciples asked Jesus three questions. First one was, tell us when these things will be. Well, he had been talking to them and they were showing him the temple and how massive it was, how beautiful it was, how some estimates of the stones that were in it were, are that they're 50 feet long and 25 feet in depth. Uh, imagine that in a, a building. So uh, they were talking about that and Jesus said, at some point, these will be gone. They'll be removed. And they're like, tell us when that's going to happen. Well, he was referencing A.D. 70, uh, which is when Jerusalem was uh, overtaken. He didn't tell them exactly when. I mean, those that the Lord doesn't always answer directly whenever you say when. <laughs> uh, so he said, they said to him, tell us when these things will be. Number two, what will be the sign of your coming? Now, they probably thought the sign of his coming and the sign of the end of the age were the same. But there are two appearances of the Lord. One is at the rapture. Uh, he calls us up, but he meets us in the air, right? And then the second one is when he comes back with his church, with his bride, and he institutes his kingdom on the earth. So they asked him, what's going to be the sign of your coming and what will be the sign of the end of the age? As we talked about in 2 Thessalonians, all of this is referred to as the day of the Lord. Uh, but the day of the Lord is separated into two parts. Uh, you might look at the day of the Lord as the morning and the evening. It's separated by uh, some time. The rapture and the return of Christ with his bride to set up his kingdom is at the end of the age. Today we're specifically going to be talking about the rapture and our need to be ready. How many, how many want to be ready for the rapture? Amen? Uh, so that's important. The second part, which we may get to next week, uh, will be about the signs of his second coming. Uh, many times when we talk about the rapture, we're actually quoting things that talk about the second coming of the Lord. And we see some of those signs already happening, so that means we're pretty close to the rapture of the church. We already see signs of the end of the age, and the rapture comes first. And so uh, 
it's important for us to know that. Let's look at verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Wow. The disciples asked Jesus a question, and he says, nobody knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. I honestly don't think he, he knew exactly. I think he knew the season and the situation. But now if you would ask me today, does he know? I believe he does. Yeah. He says, he says, of that day and hour, that's pretty specific. No one knows. Uh, so he's referring back to their original question. What's going to be the sign of your coming? And his answer is kind of unexpected. I mean, they expected Jesus to have the answer for everything, right? Uh, and here he's like, well, no one knows. Not even the angels, nobody but the Father knows when he is coming. They ask him that question, and Jesus quotes this. Nobody knows but the Father, not even the angels. Verse 37 through 39 of Matthew chapter 24. He says, but as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until that day. Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. When he's talking about the coming of the Son of Man, remember he's referring to two specific time frames. The coming of the Lord for the church, which is the rapture, the coming of the Lord with the church at the end of the age to set up his kingdom on the earth. But he's saying here in this specific section of Matthew chapter 24 is talking about the rapture. He says it'll be like the days of Noah. What were the days of Noah like? There was a lot of evil, a lot of violence. All those stories about the giants and the angels and the people, which I've always found very confusing, and lots of violence. But also, notice he said they're eating and drinking and marrying. Wow. That sounds like a normal day, doesn't it? So you have a little bit of everything going on. You know, we can look at our era, our time frame, and we see that people are doing those things. They're still eating, they're still drinking, they're still marrying and giving in marriage. He's looking at that, and essentially it seems that life was just centered around normal things. Now, there was a lot of evil going on, but can I tell you that there's also a lot of evil going on in our day? Some things we know about, some things we don't know so much about. We, we see that life seemed to be business as usual. There were a lot of reprobate things going on. People were just going on about their business. Then all of a sudden, Noah gets in the ark, shut up by the Lord, it starts to rain. What seems normal to us, 
like you said, a generation prior would say, that looks pretty wicked and different. All of us sitting here can say, wow, the times have changed. But to those who are younger and just in their prime, normal. Jesus is saying, it's going to be like the days of Noah. So you're going to see two things, degradation, evil, but you're also going to see people continuing to do what seems normal. To me, Jesus didn't really answer their question, did he? He said, hey, it's going to look like this. Well, that's pretty much like any day. Why did he do that? This is going to look like any day, but Whenever he doesn't give us a specific time that he's coming, what does it require of us? You gotta watch, you gotta be ready uh, in anticipation. It says they did not know until the flood came and took them off. Not in Genesis, but in other parts of the Bible, it tells us that when Noah was building, he was preaching. It took him over a hundred years, over a hundred years building. So imagine, here's an evangelist with the greatest illustration you could ever imagine. He's building an ark on dry land, and he's saying, the Lord is going to flood this place. They had a hard time even understanding what a flood was because, number one, rain didn't come out of the sky. It came from the ground, and it was water like, kind of like dew did not really understand. But I asked the question, was God unfair to those in the day, those days of Noah? Was he unfair? No, because they were warned. They weren't just warned one day and the Lord came the next. But for over a hundred years as Noah is building this ark, and by the way, the size and the dimension of the ark so big that even with a hundred years to build it, it was quite a feat. Anybody ever been to the ark in Northern Kentucky? It'd take me a lot. I'm not a builder, but it'd take me a lot more than a hundred years to build that. I wonder if Noah didn't hire people to help him. Imagine you're working on the ark, but you're not paying attention to the warnings that he's giving. I don't know that. I'm just speculating. I almost had to have help. Even, even with his three sons working for 100 years, if you look at the dimensions of the ark, the size of it, and the tools that they had, it's not like they had power tools, right? Uh, and, and, you know, nail guns and all that kind of thing. Uh, so, it is possible that people actually worked for Noah and got left behind because they didn't believe his message. They were warned that a judgment was coming. But now it does say that everyone's thoughts were continually on evil. So with the exception, and it doesn't even tell us that Noah's family was righteous. It only tells us that he was. Uh, so there was there was some grace extended there, I believe, to his family. 
See, I believe what God saves that he has in mind to save the whole thing. Uh, I really do believe that. Uh, I'm not saying it always comes to pass, but I believe that's what God desires in us. The Philippian jailer in the New Testament uh, that had Paul and Silas in the jail. Remember, they escaped. Uh, they tell him about the Lord because he's about to kill himself because he's worried that the, the people are going to escape and he's going to be held liable for them. He's going to be put to death. And that they testify to him about the Lord. And he gets saved and baptized and his whole family. I, I just think God, God really loves families. But anyway, uh, this came suddenly to the people, even though they had been warned. It came unexpectedly. And we can say the same thing about the rapture. There'll be signs in nature. There will be signs in society. Though they will not give a specific and definite date, they will prophesy about the Lord's return. Again, this emphasizes be ready, be ready, be ready. That's what this whole last part of this chapter is really about. He's talking to the disciples and he's saying, Remember, they, they never experienced this. They will, because the dead in Christ are going to rise first, right? What Thessalonians tells us, and we just got out of that uh, book. But they had not ever experienced this. So all of this was new. We haven't experienced it yet either, right? Uh, but the Lord's coming back. And so we need to be ready. Let's read verses 40 through 44. Be ready for an unexpected coming. That's the theme of this. Verse 40 through 44. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore. If you underline in your Bible, you might want to underline that watch. Because it has some significant meaning. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Pay close attention to references to time. It didn't say we don't know what season. It said we don't know what hour the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house, and he goes into a, a parable. What is a parable? parable is a story about an everyday thing with spiritual meaning attached to it. So here uh, we're seeing this story and he says that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. We don't know when the thief's going to show up, do we? Otherwise we might be waiting at the door right? Uh, with some protection. Some way to maybe stop them from thieving. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Jesus describes something, and there's been a few movies about the rapture that try to capture the essence of this. I may have ever seen Left Behind. There's a movie, and in this movie, 
there are airplanes in the sky and all of a sudden somebody disappears. There are people driving cars and all of a sudden somebody disappears. Uh, so that's kind of the essence of this uh, that he's saying there's going to be two men in the field and one will be taken and the other left. And be left, if you know the scripture, would be terrifying, okay? Uh, to know that you got left, you were left behind. Throughout the world, because I believe there, how many believe there are Christians in other nations? Amen? Right? Throughout the world, when the rapture occurs, there will be disappearances all over the globe. Imagine the chaos that will happen, right? Can't only imagine that. And the other, the one that's left will be will be left. The one, the other one, it says that they will be uh, catching away. That's the if you were to break down the Greek wording, there's a catching away, uh, snatching up, if you will, uh, of those uh, who are Christians, and they are taken. Taken implies uh, that you have taken someone to be with you, and here it points to salvation. The one who is taken is saved, right? The other one is left to experience the judgment of God. So taken is not the negative part here, it is the positive part. God has taken them away from judgment. By the way, and I know we've talked about this in the Thessalonians multiple times, but I am a firm believer that the church, the true church, true believers will not go through the great tribulation firm believer in that. I think throughout scripture that it supports that idea. Um, in fact, I was talking with somebody the other day and I, you know, I said, you know, some people believe in mid-tribulation. Like we're going to go up in the middle of the tribulation. And I said, it don't really make any sense because we're considered God's bride. So why would God leave us here to be beat up on for a little while? And he's the one, he's the one doing the judgment, right? And then rescued his bride. Because that didn't make any sense. So I'm not saying, I'm not trying to condemn other people who believe that way, but I'm a firm believer and believe that there are multiple, multiple references to the Lord taking us away before uh, the great tribulation. Not that we won't experience any kind of tribulation or persecution even, but that we will not experience the great outpouring of God's wrath on men. So we see that. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming. Day and the hour of the Lord's coming is unknowable. Jesus' followers must be on constant guard for his coming. So the words watch, therefore, are in a present imperative tense. What does that mean? That means continual action of watching. Never stop watching. That's what it's saying. Keep watching for the Lord. Does that mean we just sit down and we look up to the sky? <laughs> Maybe sometimes, right? Uh, what does that mean? What does that look like? Always being expecting, 
always living in anticipation of that. As if the Lord might come today prepared and ready, our hearts right. Continual action, action in the present time. So the idea is to live as if Jesus could come today. That's the idea behind that watch, therefore. It's an imperative. What does the word imperative mean? Necessary, yes. A must. It's in the present, which means do it now, and it has some thought behind it, right? It's like you need to do it now and, and keep doing it, and it's like it's almost like it's a command. So that's an imperative, a present imperative tense that we see there. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. You've got to be ready for his coming. It's going to be without warning. And then we'll see that the rest of this chapter, Jesus follows with a parable to drive home the point. As a matter of fact, chapter 25 start with a very similar parable. We're not going to go into it, but how many have read the parable of the ten virgins? And some were wise and some were not wise. Some had oil left over when the bridegroom came for them and some did not. Right? And uh, we might go into that at some point, but that is a parable that follows this particular chapter. So he's continuing the theme of you got to be ready. And not only ready, but have extra oil uh, so that you're ready. Verses 45 through 47. And we're going to see a parable here that talks about a faithful and wise servant. And then we'll, uh, it'll be followed. It's the same parable, but it'll be followed by the evil servant. So who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? So the servant has an assignment that came from the master, the good servant, the faithful and wise servant. Purpose is so that they all have food when it's said and done. Because somebody has to do the work, right? Somebody has to be faithful. Somebody has to be harvesting. Somebody has to be planting, all those kinds of things. And the master has made him ruler of, over the household. Second sentence here. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. So if we're continually working for the Lord, carrying on the assignment that he's given to us, then we're going to be blessed. That's what it says. That when, he, when he returns, he'll find us and we'll be blessed. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. So, Jesus told us that we have to carry on with diligence while he's gone. Why does he tell us that? What would be the human tendency 
to do if Jesus was here with us and he said, stay here, I'm going to go for a while, and then I'm going to come back. What would be our human thinking? Complacent? He said the weight, right? The weight, but many times we look at weight as sit and do nothing. But really the better way to look at weight is when you go to a restaurant and you sit at the table and somebody serves. It used to be called a waiter, right? Or a waitress. And if they just went somewhere and sat down, they may even, I've seen waitresses do this, they get you seated and then they go sit down until the food's ready. Well, I might need a drink before the food comes. I might need some napkins. I might need some uh, attention to some details, right? Uh, so here he's saying, wait. And I think there is a human viewpoint that sometimes when the Lord said, I'm going to come back, that we have a tendency to be real busy, waiting on the Lord, doing the things that he wants us to do, and then after a while, then we might slack off a little bit, right? And that's why it's important when we look at the word watch that we understand that he's saying, do it now and continue to do it, right? I used to manage about 30 people at one point in Sylvania, and what I noticed was everybody was real busy when I walked I mean, I'm just being honest. I mean, it's truthful. And, and, and by and large, they, they were long-term, mature, you know, employees. They, they did a good job. But there was an extra emphasis when they knew I was on the floor, right? Because I was coming by to make sure everything was good. That my manager would, if he was to see it, he would see that it was good. And that it's being taken care of. And it's neat. And it's orderly. And there weren't crazy things going on, right? But when I would kind of just show up out of nowhere, sometimes I would see things that, well, there was a little complacency. Uh, so I, I think there is a tendency, and I'm not saying I'm better than them, I'm saying I think human tendency is to become complacent if we don't see something happening right away. Uh, Surely I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. So there is a reward for our diligence, for our staying faithful and watching. We're the servant. We never forget that. We're the servant, but the Lord, as the master, knows how to take care of and bless his servants, right? We get a crown for loving his appearing. That's what it says. And it also says that we'll do something with those crowns later on, right? For those who love his appearing. So in other words, his faithful. His, you'll have a crown when you go to heaven. But there's also a place uh, in Revelation that it talks about us laying our crowns at his feet. Right? Uh, because he's worthy. We're not really worthy. Right? Uh, and, and our love for him extends you know, beyond what we could get from him. But if the evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming 
and begins to beat his fellow servants. Notice, wow, it gets pretty rough quickly. So it goes from this wise and faithful servant to an evil servant, and when the master delays, there's some things that we see happen. Number one is he beats his fellow servants. That's rough, right? Uh, and then he begins to eat and drink with drunkards. So his diligence and watching and waiting leaves, and now he's acting like someone who doesn't even know the Lord, right? So he's falling away. Uh, the master of the servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him, and at an hour that he is not aware of, and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, when the Lord delays, instead of him having a constant anticipation, this evil servant, he begins to act like he never even was a servant of the Lord at all. Right? When people begin to turn on each other in a church, there's a lot of issues going on. There's problems, right? And so we need to maintain a love for each other as we're waiting on the Lord. Don't become impatient. Don't think he's not going to return and I'm just going to do what I know how to do. Live in constant anticipation of the Lord's return. I love this. This is a quote from a commentary that I use quite a bit. It says, the most dangerous lie is not there is no God. It is not there is no hell. But the most dangerous lie of Satan is that there is no hurry. Complacency though. That's what the devil really wants to tell you. You don't need to do that, right? You got time to do that. You don't have to be ready all the time like that, you know. And so I, I, I just love that quote. So we need to be ready for the imminent return of Jesus and uh, don't let the devil tell you that there's no hurry. I'm raising my hand. Do you have loved ones who believe don't know the Lord as their Savior? Right? So rather than just sitting and waiting, we need to have concern for them and some reaching out to them, right? Uh, and, and that's important that we do that. So we're, we're busy. We're not believing that he won't return at all. It says he will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the hypocrites. That cut him in two means to whip or thrash, basically to cut in two with a whip. Now that's a strong word, isn't it? So it's emphasizing the, the anger of the master, right? So if the master represents the Lord, and we have served the Lord at some point, but then we've fallen away, Many people don't believe you can ever fall away. Uh, but falling away, some would say, well, they weren't a true servant at any point. But I don't know, semantics. But there is a punishment for the one that fell away, right? In 
he's cut in two. He's cut away from uh, the reward and given the punishment like the rest of the world is to be given. So it's it's important for us to see that. Let's go through the questions. So can we know exactly when the Lord will come back for the church? No. No one knows. Not the angels, but only the Father. According to verse 37, what will the days of the coming of the Son be like? Like the days of Noah. We talked about that. Those are evil days, but yet days where it seems that it's a normal business, right? Everybody's still eating, drinking, and marrying, and those normal uh, occupations. Describe the days of Noah. What are they doing? Acting normal. Eating, drinking, marrying. Uh, there is some evil. Question four. Was God unfair to those in the days of Noah? And why? No. It was not unfair to them. They were warned and given time to change. The words watch, therefore, are in the present imperative tense. And then fill in the blank. Jesus illustrated his unexpected return through the parable of the faithful and wise servant and the evil servant. And then, according to verse 49, what are the actions of the evil servant? begin to beat the servants and turn into a, a drunk with the drunkards, right? 